0: Alright, if you have a Bible, please open up to Exodus 32 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. If you're a, if you're a dad, would you please stand this morning? Please stand. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Being a dad is a heavy and awesome responsibility. And I am so thankful for the just many godly examples of godly fathers that we have uh, here in this church. You know, in Ephesians 5, you know, our, our calling is to love our wives and our families as Christ loved the church. We give first. We sacrifice first. We lay down our life. That is our calling. And so thank you so much for living into that. Uh, We're going to continue in our series entitled God's House this morning. Uh, We finished up the book of Haggai, uh, and so we're going to go back in time, Haggai's 520 B.C. We're going to go back and ask the question, why Leviticus? Why do we need the book of Leviticus? A lot of times whenever we talk about or think about or even hear the word Leviticus, we think that's part of that old law, there's just a lot of rules in there, Uh, you know, we we just read that if we're trying to get to sleep and the melatonin's not working, right? And so, you know, why do we need the book of Leviticus? This is a very important question. I think a very relevant question for us as well. And so the Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, is right in the middle of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. They're the five books of Moses. And so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So you have Genesis and Deuteronomy, and then you have Exodus and Numbers, then you have Leviticus right in the middle. And I'm going to talk more about that structure as we go through this series, because actually the book of Leviticus is structured the same way as the whole Pentateuch. And there's a reason for that, and there's a rhythm to it. Again, a lot of times when we look at it, we just think, oh, this is a bunch of distorted rules, and it's actually not. There's an order to it. And so we're gonna be learning that over the next several weeks. The book of Leviticus is literally the book of the Levites, it, it literally means the Lord called, which are the first three words of the book, just like Genesis in the beginning. Uh, the Lord called, and we see that it is a calling to the people uh, because there's an issue that has taken place. And if we're going to understand why we need Leviticus, we need to understand Exodus. The book of Exodus ends in Exodus chapter 40 with a major problem, a major problem. And if you go to Exodus 40, if you're in Exodus 32 and you flip over to Exodus 40... Verses 34 and 35, you read this. This is right at the very end of Exodus. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. Now, notice the rhythm here. Notice, cloud glory filled Moses could not enter why cloud glory filled do you see that and so right here this is a crucial problem because the tabernacle is now complete it's done this is where God would inhabit and stay with his people his presence would be with them but now Moses who represents the people he can't go in this is a real issue And we know this is an issue because of places like, for example, you may say, why is that a problem? Well, think about Exodus 25. In Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, the text says, God is speaking to Moses and he says, and let them, the people, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Verse 9, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furnishings. So you shall make it. God wanted them to make this place, this tabernacle, so that he could dwell among them and he could commune with them. And he would speak to Moses and Moses would speak to the people. God wanted a house of habitation among his people. If you look in Exodus 29, for example, just a few chapters over, Exodus 29 verses 45 through 46 God says, here's what I want to do. He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God, verse 46, and they shall know, that he wants them to know something, and this is not just know like in my mind, he wants them to know, he wants to embody something for them, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. That phrase, I am the Lord their God, is so important and crucial to even understanding Leviticus, Who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. And then he repeats, I am the Lord their God. So all along, this is what God wanted. He wanted a house of habitation among his people. God wanted, the whole reason why God delivered them from Egypt was so that he could be with them. We see in Exodus 29, 45, 46. And the problem is Moses cannot go in. And the question is, why is that an issue? Well, if we're going to understand Exodus 32, we actually have to go back to Exodus 24. (laughs) Hang with me here. So Exodus 20, I don't know how you flip through all this on your phone, but good luck. So Exodus 24, before Moses goes up the mountain and receives the law, which is where he's at in Exodus 32, this is what we read. Exodus 24, verses 12 and following, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Notice the word wait. Wait there. Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose and went with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. Verse 14, and he said to the elders, wait here, wait "'Wait here for us until we return to you, "'and behold, Aaron and Ur are here with you. "'If anyone has a dispute, let him go to them.'" Verse 15, "'Then Moses went up on the mountain, "'and the cloud covered the mountain. "'And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, "'and the cloud covered it six days. "'And on the seventh day he, God, "'called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud.'" Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. What was the message from God to Moses? Wait. What was the message from Moses to the elders? Wait. Wait here. Moses is going up to receive the law from the Lord. And then a problem happened. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they see this as a delay, right? When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. The message was wait. They're into this journey now, and they think Moses is delayed. And the first thing that we see here in this text is that the people were impatient about God's timing. Everything else that happens in Exodus 32 comes from verse 1, the people were impatient about God's timing. Sometimes we think God is moving too fast. Most of the time we think God is moving too slow. And when we think God is moving too slow, sometimes we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and speed things along. That's exactly what they do. And it gets really ugly really fast. Notice verse 2. Verse 2 says, so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Everyone wore earrings back then. So all the people, that was funny. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a, a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your God's. Notice they're using God's plural. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So right here, first thing we see, the people are impatient with God. They think God is moving too slow. They don't know where Moses is. They're impatient with him. You know, what is going on here? And Because of their impatience, the first thing we see is the people give offerings that were not required of them. They gave offerings that were not required of them. You know, it's costly, costly to rush the will of God in your life. Costly. Notice what happens in verse 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Oh, now we've got an altar. Not only do we have a golden calf, now we have an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we shall feast. We shall have a, be a feast to the Lord. Notice he's involving God in all this now. They have an idol, but he said, this is going to be a feast to the Lord. Notice God's plural. This is called synchronism, where he's taking one religion from Egypt, we can make that case, and he's blending it with God. He says, tomorrow's going to be a feast to the Lord, verse 6. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down uh, to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Now, there's a lot going on here, but notice, because of the people's impatience, Number one, they're giving offerings that were not required of them. Number two, now they're making sacrifices that were not required of them. And in so doing, creating a whole new religion here. Blending God with this golden calf. And a whole new religious experience here. A whole new worship experience. But not only that, because this is taking place, the people, they are following pleasures that are not permitted. That phrase, they rose up to play, means they were promiscuous So all of a sudden now, the morality of God's people is just unraveling quickly before their eyes. I think we've seen that before. Because we did not want to do things God's way, in God's timing, offerings that were not required, sacrifices that were not required, and they were following pleasures and passions that were not permitted. And so the Lord begins to reveal some things starting in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Moses, remember, they're on the mountain. He's giving him the law. All of a sudden, God calls a divine time out and says to Moses this, Go down for your people. (laughs) All of a sudden, God's like, they're not mine anymore. They're yours. (laughs) For your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, notice, have corrupted themselves. The first thing that the Lord reveals is that it is possible for us as people to corrupt ourselves. So many times we say, oh, no, 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 that can't happen. Surely not me, not us, right? We're seeing that throughout this whole, this whole theme through the summer. And God says, oh, yes, they have. These are the people that he had just delivered from bondage in Egypt, and now he says they have corrupted themselves, which means it's possible for us as well. It is possible for the people who worship God, who say they're devoted to God, to literally do this. That's not a popular word today, but it is possible. In verse 8, it goes on. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are your gods. Notice notice what they did. They made it. They worshipped They sacrificed to it, and then they said, they had a liturgy for it, a song they were singing, these are your gods. And so what the Lord reveals is that it is possible for us to corrupt ourselves. Number two, it is possible for us to turn from the Lord quickly, by the way, and it is possible for us to create our own gods. All of that is possible for them and for us, and it serves as a warning to us. So notice what God says in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. I see it. And he says, and behold. Moses, I want you to behold it. The word behold there, he wants him to see reality for what it really is. So many times we say things like, oh, it's not as bad as you think. Or, you know, oh, oh surely, you know, yeah, there's bad stuff, corruption out there. But not in us, surely not. Or or surely you can't turn from the Lord that fast. Surely, surely, surely. And and God says, Moses, I want you to behold it. I want you to see reality because I can see it. God can always see the depth of our own rebellion. And he calls us to see it as well for what it really is. He says, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. It is a stubborn people who just want their way, God says. And so God sees the depth of our rebellion. He calls Moses to behold it, to see it. He calls us to see it for what it really is. But notice God's heart here. It's very interesting in verse 10. He says, Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And you say, wow, that's really harsh. Notice, in order that I may make a great nation of you. What God is saying here is he's actually not giving up on his people. Yes, He says he wants his anger to burn hot against them, to consume them. But notice he's talking about starting over. He's done it before. Remember the flood? But notice what Moses does. Instead of this course of action where God would purify his people and get things back on the right track by using Moses and going that direction... Moses begins to pray in verse 11. It says, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Lord, why? He's asking why questions. Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, he, God, brought them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent. That word is very important and relent from this disaster against your people. So the first thing, Moses begins to pray, and he says, God, please do not consume them yet. He's asking for God to relent, which means to pause in grief. Just, Just don't do anything yet. Then in verse 13, Moses starts pointing back to the promises of God. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you... Uh, swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And so all of a sudden Moses starts praying and saying, God, you made a promise to these people. He's pleading the promises of God right here in the midst of all these why questions. And notice how God responded in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now right here it looks like it looks like Moses wins, right? It looks like Moses has had this argument with God and he has won the argument and won God over and God has stopped. Notice it says he's relented. He has paused in his grief. I think at this point God is kind of smiling. At Moses. Because what did God want Moses to do? He said, I have seen this. I've seen this people. Moses, I want you to behold it. I want you to look upon the reality and see what your reaction is. It's exactly what happens. Verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain to take the, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. Verse 16, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. There's a war going on. It's just a spiritual battle right now. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting like that of a victory or the sound of the cry of defeat. But the sound of singing that I hear, he hears them worshiping, worshiping the golden calf. Verse 19, as soon as he, Moses, came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. All of a sudden, Moses is doing the very thing he asked God not to do. Don't don't let your anger burn hot. No, 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 no. Moses, God says, I want you to behold it. Moses goes and sees it. All of a sudden, there is a righteous indignation in him. It's a whole other sermon for another time. But the very thing that Moses did not want God to do and to feel, now he sees what's going on and he feels it. And then not only that, he threw, then Charlton Heston threw the tablets out of his hand. (laughs) Some of you are like, who is that? You know, just Google it. You'll find it. All right. He threw them out of his hand, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, watch this, that they had made. He burned it with fire. He ground it into powder. He scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. You say, what in the world is going on there? In this moment, Moses comes down. He sees the people worshiping the calf. He, what happens in him is the very thing he's asking God Please don't let your anger burn hot. Moses' anger burns hot. He burns it. He grinds it up. He scatters it in the water and tells everybody to drink. And in that one action, that one prophetic action, he is telling the people, this sin that you have done, it is something that is in you. You have to internalize this. It's not just something outside of you. And in this act of drinking, literally drinking the golden calf, Number one, he's saying it's really not a God. And number two, he's saying the sin, the real problem is something on the inside. Now right here, Exodus 32, if you want to understand why we have Leviticus, you have to understand Exodus 32. All that God has done to bring them out of slavery brings them to this point where God is giving the law. And this is their response You see, we need Leviticus because of the golden calf experience. Because the golden calf experience revealed, it revealed our true nature. And our true nature is that we always run from God toward an idol. That's why the first two commandments that are given to Moses on the mountain, they're about idolatry. Because we always run to an idol and through the golden calf experience I'm going to give you four things they won't be on the screen but four things through the golden calf experience number 1 what we see is that worship is reserved for God and God alone and it must be done on his terms worship is reserved for God and God alone And it must be done on his terms. Remember Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46. The one thing that God wanted the people to know is that I am the Lord their God. That phrase, I am the Lord your God, appears 42 times in the book of Leviticus. Over and over in 27 chapters, God is telling them, I am the Lord your God. Meaning worship is directed to God and God alone, and it must be on his terms. And any definition that we have of what worship is better be found in Scripture. It better be. And so worship is reserved for one person, and it must be done on his terms as AW Tozer said idolatry is worshipping anything other than God or worshiping God for anything less than who he is. Number 2, the, through the golden calf experience, the people learned that they are to be different, culturally different among the world. What you see laid out in the book of Leviticus that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks is that the people of God are called to worship differently. There's a different culture, while other other, um, societies are sacrificing humans, drinking the blood of animals, all those things. We look at that and we're like, why does God want all the blood drained out of an animal? You got to understand, in that world, in that day, that was so counter-cultural. It was a testimony to who God was, and it said something about blood, which we'll get to in a few weeks but they were to worship in a countercultural way. Number three, through the golden calf experience, we're invited into this place of total surrender that takes trust. Total surrender that takes trust. If you go all the way to the very end of Leviticus, in Leviticus 27, verse 28, he's talking about things that are devoted unto the Lord. And he says, every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. And again, he immediately, right as he's concluding the book of Leviticus, talks about tithes and things like that, offerings that they were giving to a calf that they made, right? He's saying, no, no, every bit of our life is holy unto the Lord. When we devote it to the Lord, it is set apart for him. And so Leviticus calls us in to this place. We're invited into this place of total surrender that takes trust. But number four is this. Is the golden calf experience, because of it, We understand that we are people that desperately need God's grace. You see, the golden calf issue is taking place in Exodus 32. If you go over to Exodus 33 in verse 13, Moses is praying again. And in Exodus 33 verse 13, when Moses is praying, he's praying for this thing called favor. It's the same word as grace. He says, now, therefore, speaking to God, If I have found favor or grace in your sight, please show me now your ways. He said, I want to know your ways. That I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. That I may know you, that I may know you, that I may know you. What did God say in Exodus 29? I want them to know that I am the Lord their God. And right here, the very thing that we see Moses pleading for throughout the rest of the book is the favor, the grace of God. The grace of God. The tabernacle is built. Moses cannot go in because of the golden calf experience. And he's begging for grace. And Leviticus is not just a book of rules. It's a book that shows us all about that grace that God has for each and every one of us. And we know that Moses experienced that grace. If you go to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. From, 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 from the tent of meeting. We have what takes place. In Leviticus, you go to Numbers, the very next book, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. Beginning of Leviticus, Leviticus, God is speaking from the tent to Moses, who's outside. You get to Numbers, God is speaking to Moses in the tent. Meaning Moses made it in. God extended him grace that he needed in order to go into God's presence the way the people needed him to. And so I've thrown out a whole lot of information. <laughs> the big idea is this I'll put, pose it as a question What do you need grace for this morning? Put it in the negative sense, what's your golden calf? But I like the positive sense. What do you need grace for this morning? See, Israel was at this point where everything was moving along. They were going to be his people. They were going to know and learn how that he is the Lord their God. And then all of a sudden, their eyes got diverted, and they created an idol, and they found themselves in desperate need of grace. The thing about that story is that it's my story, and it's your story. Things are going and they're going so good and then all of a sudden we look up one day, we're learning that he is the Lord my God and then all of a sudden we look up one day and we realize "Ah, I've blown it and I once again find myself in that place where I need his grace. So what do you need grace for this morning? What is that? Because here's the thing, he has it for you. Just as Moses made it in, Now there's a way for you to come in. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you that through an ancient and old story that may seem technical to our modern ears, at its core, it's a story of grace. So this morning, I pray that you would give us the grace to receive your grace. And whatever it is that's holding us back, Whatever the golden calf is, may we lay it down. May it be burned within and ground within. May we internalize our sin and beg for your grace because you give it so willingly. Thank you, Lord. Right now, wherever we are, whatever we're going through, will we ask him for his grace once again?